0: Good morning, everyone. My wife is joining me today.
1: Good morning.
0: This is the lovely Emily Bally, if you don't know her. Uh, We are continuing in our Kingdom Family series, like Billy said, Ephesians chapter 5. Two weeks ago, we taught on uh, the reason for marriage. Today, we are talking about the roles of marriage Um, And I'm excited to be able to partner with Emily on this. Obviously, as a woman and a wife, she has a perspective. I don't have an insight, and experience, able to speak into some of these things like I can't.
1: So Dom and I realized that today when we talk about marriage, there are those seeking marriage, there are those building marriage, and there are those saving marriage. And there are those who have experienced divorce. And Dom and I are far from perfect, (laughs) and when we come before you today, we are still trying to figure this out, and we're learning right alongside you, and because we only have 25 minutes, our goal today is to get to the heart of the passage in Ephesians and lay a foundation of marriage roles. And our goal isn't to regurgitate the latest cool thing from TikTok or culture or from our favorite rom com, but to hear what scripture says about
0: these things. Last thing we'll say before we read this text is that uh, you may be left with more questions than you have answers today. And we may not have the answers for those questions. Um, we, like Emily said, we could do a six week series on marriage. We're talking about one specific thing because that's what we find in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 right here. However, there are experts on this stuff. We are not them. We would encourage you to read good Christian books on marriage. And please, for the love of God and the love of your spouse, find a good marriage counselor. Counseling should be like taking your car to get tuned up. Don't wait till the car explodes to take your car to the mechanic. Just start going now, right? Counseling should mean like you start going Right now, if you, you don't know where to go, ask a friend who's had a good experience with a good Christian counselor for a reference. Uh, our staff has also put together a little list of some references that we would be happy to share with you.
1: Okay, let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands in as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives also should submit to your husbands in everything.
0: For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish.
1: but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word, would you pray with us? Thank you Jesus that you have laid out for us a beautiful picture of the intimacy that you desire to have with us and us with you in the picture of marriage. And as we are looking into the best way that marriage functions, just like we would look to a manufacturer's guide or we would look to somebody who created something, we look to the creator of marriage and say, God, we open our ears and we want to hear what you are saying this morning.
0: And we recognize, Lord, that uh, like Emily alluded to at the beginning, there's so many different situations in marriage and people who have been divorced and even widowed and all of that, and singles who are wanting to get married. Lord, we just trust that you're able to speak to each one of us how you want to. So we ask that you would do that now, Holy Spirit. We, Emily and I, surrender our plans to you, and we ask that you would anoint our lips and our minds to speak. We also believe that you are the healer and the restorer, and so even though we're not going to talk about all the facets of marriage or even get deep into some things we ask and trust that you are able to do things today that we didn't even plan on doing thank you for the person who here today who doesn't even know you or hasn't really decided to step across that line and follow you we ask that you would speak to them as well today we ask it for your glory and our good in jesus name amen Amen. there are differing views on marriage in our culture biblically speaking, marriage is a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. And what we see today is that each one in the marriage, man and woman, plays a role. Now when we just read this text from Ephesians, some of you had a physical reaction to words like head and submit. And I just want to say, trust me, I I actually get that. I came from a family where Scriptures like this were used um, to try to control the other. That is not the heart of God. That is a result of sin. Today, we are looking at God's intended design for gender roles in marriage, how sin has corrupted those roles, and how Christ has come to redeem those roles. Only then can we move on to these taboo concepts of authority and submission. Whatever you believe about gender in general and gender roles in life and in marriage, here's what's unavoidable. Men and women are different. If you don't believe me, get married. And it will become abundantly clear, right? All the married people say amen. Amen. Whatever your view is, we're asking that we suspend judgment for these 20-25 minutes and give space to consider how God may have designed these distinct roles for our good and even to bring healing and flourishing in marriage.
1: So when we talk about gender roles in marriage, we should just go to the beginning. Let's look at creation. In Genesis 1.26, it says, In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And right after this, God commands them both to be fruitful and multiply. And the task of filling the earth with new human life was amazing, and it was something that could only happen with both genders together. So right off the bat, we see equality, and we see distinction. Both were necessary, and both were unique. We also see the idea of headship and submission introduced immediately. After Adam's created, he becomes the physical source of life for Eve, and he's given the responsibility to name her. Both of these elements lay a basis in the New Testament for what they um, call husbands to as being a head of the the home of their family. But this next part sometimes gets a little misunderstood. Despite the authority um, given to man, the woman is never described in an expected way as inferior, right? In Genesis 2.18, she's called a helper suitable to him. We've heard this before, but this doesn't simply mean that we are an assistant. <laughs> this word helper is the Hebrew word "azer," and it almost always is used to describe God himself, and it's also used um, as a strong military force. So the word for helper in Hebrew means that our biblical role as helper is more accurately defined as one who makes up what is lacking. And we as women have this gift of being a strong and necessary helper. The word suitable is also better translated like opposite. Timothy and Kathy Keller write an amazing book called The Meaning of Marriage. And in this book, they say male and female are two pieces of a puzzle that fit together because they're not exactly alike, nor randomly different. But they're differentiated such that together they can create a complete whole. And if you're not married, Jesus is the other half of that puzzle.
0: So God created sexes, as Emily just talked about, equal and essential, uh, both different and unique. And it was good in the beginning, right? But then in Genesis 3, what happens? Sin enters, man and woman sin against God, and all of that begins to deteriorate. Rather than their otherness becoming a source of completion... For one another, how it was intended to be, it becomes an occasion for uh, oppression and exploitation and even division. Hmm. After this, then, it says in Genesis 3, the woman remains dependent and even desirous of her husband, it says, but this turns into an idolatrous desire, and the husband's protection and love become a selfish lust and exploitation, so God created gender roles in marriage to be beautiful and harmonious. Mm-hmm. Then sin distorted these roles, bringing dominance to authority and degradation to submission. Jesus comes to redeem both. Yes. Jesus redefines it all. So listen to me, Christian, listen. This is essential. You cannot take words like headship or submission, extract them from the gospel and life of Jesus, and then define them as the world defines them. If you were going to talk about these things, you must talk about them like the Bible talks about them. And if you're going to do them, you got to do them like the Bible tells us to do them.
1: Amen. And thankfully, submission and headship and both authority, um, they, they are played out in the life of Jesus. And to be a follower of Jesus is mean we follow the way of Jesus. So, what's the way of Jesus? Let's look at Ephesians um, chapter 5. It says, wives submit to husbands in all things, right? Now, let's see what submission looks like um, in the life of Christ. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, it says, You all must have the same attitude that Christ has had. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Jesus took the most submissive role, that of a servant who even dies in his master's service. He shed his divine privileges without becoming any less divine. And then the Father exalts him to the highest place and gives him the name above every name. Now let's notice a couple of things here. First, in the Trinity, Jesus and the Father are equal. Second, in the submission that Jesus offers to the Father, it's voluntary. It was a gift to the Father. As our submission in marriage is a gift we voluntarily offer, and it's not something that's coerced from us.
0: Let me just jump in here really quick and say reiterate what Emily just said to the men. Uh, a wife's submission in marriage is a voluntary gift that she offers or not. It is up to her though, right? Just like Jesus never demands that we follow him, but instead Hmm. invites us and then we choose or not. We don't demand anything of anyone in the kingdom of God, especially not our wives. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) So we see equality in the Godhead and we see voluntary submission In Jesus. And thirdly, we see Jesus' voluntary submission led to his glory. In the meaning of marriage, um, this is called the dance of the Trinity. I love that. The Son defers to the Father, taking the subordinate role. The Father accepts the gift and then exalts the Son to the highest place, and each wishes to please each other, each wishes to exalt the other. Love and honor are given. Acceptance is uh, taken and then given again. So if Jesus is submitting himself as servant and it was not an assault on his dignity or his divinity but actually led to his glory, then I should not be offended when God asked me to play the Jesus role in my marriage. The son takes a submitted role and then he shows that it is not his weakness but his greatness, In marriage, there's no inequality of ability or dignity. We simply are created different. And in order to image the triune God, we do this through loving, courageous submission and through loving self-sacrificing, as Dom will talk about in a minute. Now, I want to mention that playing the Jesus role in our marriage Um, And the laying down of our life and the dying to self means that we die to our broken places. We die to our sinful places, not the good and unique parts. Your marriage needs your unique voice, your unique ideas, and your unique contributions. My submission is a choice And in this choice, my worth doesn't go away. I can hold both my worth and my husband's worth at the same time. And I also want to make it clear that the wife is not to give her husband unconditional submission, right? We're not to do that to any human being, as it says in Acts 5, that we're to please God rather than man. For instance, if a husband is asking a wife to do something that God forbids, we can say, I love you. And I'm here as a strong supportive helper, but I will not support this. Or if a husband is beating his wife or kids, the strong help that a wife can come and provide is saying, I forgive you in my heart, but then you have him arrested. It's never kind or loving to anyone to make it easy for him or her to sin.
0: Thanks, baby. Now, let's, uh, let's talk headship. Okay, that was submission. Let's talk headship. As important as it is for us to understand that a role of submission is not demeaning or even dangerous, certainly not dangerous, when played out in the context of a biblical marriage, it's equally as important for us to understand that uh, the role of headship is not a role of superiority but of servanthood. When I was uh, touring a lot, doing a lot of what we call fly dates, Um, I toured so much one year that I I racked up so many miles on American Airlines, I got gold status. And one of the privileges of gold status is that you can get upgraded to, like, business class for free sometimes, which happened one time when we were in Brazil while my band was left back in coach, and it was glorious. Um, But in our world, we are accustomed to things like this, right, where those who appear to have a higher status also are the ones who we think should receive the perks So we can read words like this here where it says head or leader or authority and read into those words things like privilege or preference or benefits. But just like Jesus redefined and restored the true meaning of submission, he also redefined and restored the true meaning of headship and authority. Let's see one example of this in John 13, starting in verse 3, Jesus knew that God the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come straight from God and would return to God. Okay, that's some significant authority. Now let's see what Jesus did with the authority. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. People's feet were nasty in the first century. They wore sandals, they walked on dirt roads, there was dung everywhere. So it was the job of the lowest servant in the house to wash the people's feet who would come into the house. It was such a low job that no one would have even expected the disciples to wash each other's feet. Certainly not Jesus, their master who had all authority. But Jesus came to restore everything in creation back to its original purpose, including the intention for authority. This passage continues here in uh, John 13, down in verse 12, where it says, So after washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, positions of authority. And you are right, because that's what I am. Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus was speaking to the men who would eventually have all of the authority in the church. And he made sure that before he died, he demonstrated what that authority should look like. In the dance of the Trinity, as they call it in the meaning of marriage, the greatest is not the one who makes himself great and takes on the perks, but who makes himself the least and gives up his life. So in Ephesians 5, our passage, it calls the husband the head. The husband is given authority in the marriage. But that authority only works when it looks like the authority of Jesus, In washing the disciples' feet, Jesus demonstrated in the most dramatic way that unlike the world where leadership means others serve you, leadership in the kingdom of God means that you serve others, period. That is all that leadership means. It never means like you get the perks, you get to like do the thing. It always means you take the low road in the the kingdom of God. And to what end is this servant kind of leadership? What is the goal? the glory of the other. We see it again in our passage in Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, the church. Why? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. A quote here from The Meaning of Marriage again. The husband's authority, like the sons over us, is never used to please himself, but only to serve the interests of his wife. Wow. Headship does not mean a husband simply makes all the decisions, nor does it mean he gets his way in every disagreement. Why? Jesus never did anything to please himself. Romans 15. Good Lord, help us. A servant leader must sacrifice his wants and needs to please and build up His partner. Wow. The first job that God gave Adam in the garden was cause things to flourish. Fellas, listen to me. Husbands, listen to me. It is our job to do whatever necessary to cause flourishing in our wives.
1: When it looks like that, if that's what our husbands are called to, then the idea of submission does not seem so daunting anymore. Because Jesus, in him, we see all dictatorship of authority laid to rest, and all the humility of submission glorified. And we see that Christ's submission didn't lead to making him insignificant or small. It led to his ultimate glorification. Nor did Christ's authority lead him to dominating his people, but to giving his life up for his people and in marriage, we both get to play the Jesus role.
0: I'm going to repeat that last thing you just said. In marriage, we both get to play the Jesus role. We are both followers of Christ, seeking the way of Christ. Okay, but what about disagreements, Dom? Like, who makes the decision then? If we're both laying down our lives and sacrifice for each other, what do we do when there's a stalemate, so to speak? It seems that the Bible puts that responsibility on the man. But listen, in the vast majority, vast majority of cases, a disagreement and a decision should be resolved because each person is trying to give the other his or her pleasure. One author said it like this, or he adds to it at least. He said, a head can only overrule his spouse if he is sure that her choice would be destructive to her or to the family. Our connection and desire for oneness should be so vital that we will talk and listen and keep listening and keep listening and talk less and keep listening and pray until we can find common ground or until we're, one of us humbles ourselves enough to say, you know what, I'm going to go with your thing because the world's not going to fall apart if we don't go with my thing, even though I'm convinced that my thing is the right way. Because why? Like our marriage counselor says, because pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with doing what is right. And doing what is right is preferring my spouse, as Philippians 2 says. Don't be selfish, it says. Be humble, thinking of others. Go ahead and put your spouse's name in there. In my case, thinking of Emily as better than myself. And, fellas, listen. As people, as the ones who have been given this position, this role in in marriage, We should invite this. First of all, happy wife, happy life. Okay, (laughs) amen. Happy wife, happy life. But secondly, I want to remind us that Adam, when he was sinless, before he sinned, he was incomplete without his woman. Okay, without his wife, he was not complete. uh, Regrettingly and unfortunately, it took me years to realize that Emily's perspective and input and voice and opinions and all of that wasn't just valuable because she's my wife and she's valuable, but it was actually necessary for me because this is how God designed it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, okay, dude, but I can't get past this. Why does the man get to lead? Like, why is it the man? First of all, as a man, I don't know if you all just, just heard this section about headship, but this does not feel like a get to. To me, to, to follow Jesus, who is doing everything he does is for the sake of another and for their good, for their benefit, for their glory, that sounds terrifying, exhausting, and daunting to me. It's intimidating to me. But to answer the question, why does the man, quote unquote, get to lead? The truest answer is that we're not really given uh, a reason in the Bible. For why men are given this role i've heard some preachers be like well you know men are more practical and uh, women are usually uh, more emotional and so it makes sense that the man dude first of all i cry way more than my wife okay (laughs) second of all that's not in the bible nor is it actually practical because i can name on one hand marriages where the husband is more spiritual or equipped than the wife it's not practical there is no reason given but we do know this There is no implication that it is because the man is somehow more naturally equipped to do this. Just like the son, why did the son be the one who submitted his life and became the servant? Why wasn't it the father when it could have been the father? There's no implication that there's some reason behind this. But it is clear that it is not because there is a hierarchy or status or because the man is somehow more capable than his wife. Act this.
1: Okay, you're cute. <laughs> I love you. I love you. So we'd like to leave you with just a couple of closing thoughts. One, marriage is a two-way street. There's red, there's blue, and there's purple. <laughs> and the purple, or our marriage, will only be happy and healthy if both red and blue have an invested interest in the other's well-being, restoration, healing, and ultimate glory. It's not about you telling him or her how they need to change in order to make you feel better. It's about how do I need to change in order to make them feel better and vice versa.
0: I was going to say and vice versa. <laughs>
1: And, um, but what if you do? What do you do if the other person doesn't want to do this or doesn't do this? Well, because both roles are servant roles, we don't need to wait for permission or reciprocation. We don't let ourselves become a doormat, um, but we just start doing these things before the Lord, accountable to our God. We can also humbly and gently share our desire for the health and the contribution of the purple. And a quick shout out to single ladies who desire to be married. If you want to accept gender-defined roles that the Bible lays out in your marriage, you need to find a husband who will truly be a servant leader to match you as a strong helper.
0: Second quick little thing we want to leave you with is we commit to growing ourselves while exercising and extending grace Mm. to the other. Everybody just say grace to the other.
1: Grace to the other.
0: Because we all come into marriage with strengths and weaknesses, right? So for some men, for instance, uh, they may need to work more on the leading part of being a servant leader. But other men may need to work more on the servant part of being a servant leader.
1: And some women might need to work more on the strong part of strong, supportive helper, while others might need to work more on the supportive part of strong, supportive helper.
0: But as we lean into these God-given gender roles in marriage, we can begin to nurture those weaker abilities for the benefit of our spouse. That's you, baby.
1: That's you, baby. Lastly, y'all, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need... We need supernatural ability. Because this sounds hard. Because this is nuts. While the principle of gender roles in marriage is clear, right? The Bible gives almost no specific details on how this is played out practically. So, which means we must learn to hear and follow the voice of the Holy Spirit in order to know how to honor and express these things in our marriages, And also, as we look to Jesus as our example for both submission and authority, it becomes very clear that we cannot do this without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen?
0: Amen. I'd like to invite Amy up. Uh, We're going to enter into a time of worship in just a minute here. But listen, guys, uh, if you're married, you know this better than anyone. But... We are all imperfect people. We are married to imperfect people. We are imperfect ourselves in any relationship, especially the marriage relationship where you're living in such close proximity. There's going to be offenses in marriage. Sometimes there's going to be deep offenses. What needs to happen then, Emily talked about the red and the blue and the purple, is, is when there's an offense there, when there's pain over there, our counselor says it like this: She says, um, "Each one needs to have an invested interest in reducing the other's fear, threat, and pain." That's so good. And so that means that I gotta like lay aside my stuff for a second and say I'm stepping over this bridge towards you with an invested interest in reducing your fear, threat, or pain. And that is a step in the way of Jesus because isn't that what he did he's in the garden over here in his blue if you will he sees the pain that sin has caused over there in the red and he says father this I'm feeling the pain of the blue right here like is there a way that I don't have to go over there and the father says no and he says all right I'm gonna step over here for the sake of the red all the way to the cross to reduce ultimately the eternal fear, threat, and pain that sin had caused. This is the way of Jesus. And so we do that, even if there's been an offense. We do that because that is the way of Christ. And these steps, when we do that, we step over, we, we step over uh, with empathy and, and, and compassion and gentleness, um, validating what's happening over here. Those are the first steps to reconciliation and restoration there. We are going to hurt each other. I hurt my wife. She hurts me. But it is not without hope, because Jesus can restore absolutely anything. Yes. He can restore absolutely anything, but listen, that horizontal relationship and the restoration of that horizontal relationship comes after the restoration of that vertical relationship. We got to restore things with God first. We got to say, you know what, Lord, I- I've sinned against them, but ultimately I've sinned against you. And now I just want, I want to talk to people who aren't married or are married or divorced or single wanted. This isn't about marriage. I just want to say this is our story with all of us. And before we can like do anything good out here, okay, we need to like make this right. We need to make this right. And I know that there are some people here today who you're not running toward God. If you're not running toward God, that means you're running from God. It's like a fish in water. If you're not running upstream to the source then you are being floated downstream away from the source jesus is the source he's the source of life okay some of you are feeling hopeless depressed some of you even here today feeling suicidal feeling lost jesus is the source of hope he is the the source of life and joy and contentment and satisfaction He is the way. You're feeling lost. Jesus is the way. He's he's the source, but you got to like turn around and run to him. I want to speak to some people here today. Again, this isn't about marriage right now, okay? I just took a turn, hard turn for left. This isn't about marriage right now. I want to speak to some people in here who you've been, you've been maybe even like you could have called yourself a Christian maybe your whole life. Maybe you've been coming to church a long time. There's a young person in here today, some teenager maybe, who's like, I've been going to church my whole life. I'm a Christian but you have not made the decision to be like, there's the line, I'm stepping over it to say, I'm following Jesus. I'm following him for the rest of my life. I'm no longer gonna be over here dabbling in this, listening to that, being led by that, or this thing I heard, or those opinions. I am drawing a line in the sand. I'm saying, today I wanna follow Jesus. Today I wanna follow Jesus. In a minute, I'm gonna ask you to stand up, and today, October 4th, 2020, is gonna be the day that 20 years from now, you look back and you're like, that was the day. That was the day that I decided to follow Jesus. That was my story. I grew up in church. I heard the gospel. I went forward at a bunch of altar calls. But when I was 16 years old, I said, this is the day. This is the day right now. And as I look back, I'm like, that was the day 23 years ago. That was the day 23 years ago that I decided to follow Jesus. And there are some people who have just been kind of like wandering. You're not even meaning to. You just kind of gave up pursuing God and you floated like that fish. You've just been floating downstream. You don't even realize it, but you're so far away from the source. Today is the day of repentance. You know what repentance means? It means turn around. Our friend Aubrey saw this, this beautiful picture earlier. Like it was two magnets, okay? And like, you know when you turn a magnet around and they're the wrong way? They're like, can't connect. And they're like pushing away from each other. That's how you have been. You're turned the wrong way you're turned the wrong way you need to repent you need to turn around and when you turn around you know you get like like sticks back that's what god is inviting you to do today and so in just a minute i'm going to ask people who have been kind of floating downstream to say no what today's the day today's the day where i repent i turn around and i say jesus i want you you're the source of all things maybe that's manifest itself in marriage you realize gosh I am a mess and floating downstream away from my spouse, away from the Lord. Today is the day of repentance. And maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this stuff about Jesus. You're like, dang, dude, the king came down from heaven and laid his life down, went like this over the bridge for me. He did that for you. He did that for you. That is the kind of love that God has for you. That's the kind of love that God has for you. That is why the father sent his son. That is why the son willingly said, I want to go. I want to go for them. I want to go for them, for their restoration and healing. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand up too and say, all right, today is the day that I'm giving Jesus my life and saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to be forgiven of my sin. And today can be the day that you know my name is written in the book of heaven. I know my eternal security and things can start brand new. So if you fall anywhere along that spectrum, and you're like, I want to follow Jesus today, today is the day. I want you to just stand to your feet right now, and I want to pray for you. Yep, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Come on. Yeah, brother. Come on. You don't have to be embarrassed. These people love you. We love you. Listen, Jesus went publicly to the cross. I'm asking you to publicly stand right now. There's some teenagers, some people in their 20s, who this is the day no longer will you run away like that you need to turn around and turn toward jesus is there somebody else stand to your feet stand to your feet come on where are you at somebody stand to your feet i see you guys i see you guys amen amen i know there's somebody else here yeah girl right on is there someone else i just want to give you one last chance to stand to your feet and say you know what Jesus publicly gave His life for me. I'm publicly professing that I need Him. Yeah, brother. Is there anyone else? Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you right now. Just a few more seconds here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just stay standing. You could have been, you could be married for years, a Christian for years, but you're like you've been floating backstream. You want to say today? You know what? Today is the day. I'm going to stand up right now. Is there anybody else? All right. Awesome. Stay standing. Repeat this prayer after me. I I want all of us to say this out loud with these people, okay? Say, "Jesus." Jesus. Say it like you mean it. Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. I don't want to float downstream anymore. I want to be connected to you. I want to follow you. I want to follow your path, not the path of the world. My life is yours. Heal me. Restore me. Restore my relationships. Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Give me power to follow you and show others who you are. And if you believed what you just said, say amen. Amen, amen.